following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
she's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the ministering to the heart of God. Oh, Lord, you've given me a word today. I ask that you'd quicken it by the power of your Holy Spirit and let the heart of each in this house be touched with courage, with confidence, with conviction that we might minister to you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. The message that I have to share with you all today, I didn't find in a book. I found it in the prayer closet. I didn't hear another man preach it. It comes from the Lord, not mine. I have no ownership of it. I know he's giving it to this congregation at this time because of what he's about to do in this city. There are two classes of people who call themselves Christians. There are first those who do all kinds of things. They might take up the offering. They might greet people at the front door. They might go out and pass out tracts. They might do all kinds of things for Jesus, but they don't minister to the heart of God. They're able to stand in the pulpit and preach. They're able to tell everybody that they're Christians, 
but they don't minister to the heart of God. And then there's a second class of Christians, and that is those men and women who minister to the heart of God. Those are the two classes. Turn in the book of Ezekiel to the 44th chapter. The Lord begins to say in Ezekiel 44, verse 6, Say to the rebellious house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Enough. Enough of your detestable practices. If you're wanting to be more than simply a cultural Christian, and you're wanting to minister to the heart of God, then you're going to have to be willing to hear God say to you, enough. Enough of the complaining. Enough of the excuses. Enough of the unbelief. Enough. Enough of being consumed by the job. Enough of being consumed with pleasure. You're going to have to be willing to hear God say, I've had enough. Something has to change. If you're willing to hear God say that to your heart, you're on the first step toward ministering to his heart. We find in this 44th chapter that there has been a practice. Let's read it in verse 7. In addition to all your other detestable practices, you brought foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh into my sanctuary, desecrating my temple while you offered me food, fat, and blood, and you broke my covenant. Instead of carrying out your duty in regard to my holy things, you put others in charge of my sanctuary. In other words, he's saying, look, you've been so concerned about other things, you have not come to me. You've not been interested in me. Are you interested in the heart of God? Or are you consumed in your interest about your own life? About your comfort? Do you have a heart that's interested in the heart of God? Do you want more intimacy with God? Or do you want simply a religious practice that you can go through to salve your conscience so you can go back and prostitute yourself with the world once again? Today, I'm just standing by faith that every man and woman, every boy and girl in this house has a spark of interest to minister to the heart of God. That's why he gave me this message, to fan that spark of interest into life, to bring us into the heart of God. Verse 10, the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray and who wandered from me after their idols must bear the consequences of their sin. They may serve in my sanctuary, having charge of the gates of the temple. In other words, they can be the greeters. They can slaughter the burnt offerings and the sacrifices for the people. They can stand before the people and serve them. But because 
they served them in the presence of their idols and made the house of Israel fall into sin. Therefore, I've sworn with uplifted hand that they must bear the consequences of their sin, declares the sovereign Lord. They are not to come near me as priests or come near any of my holy things or my most holy offerings. They must bear the shame. Yet I will put them in charge of the duties of the temple and all the work that is to be done in it. In other words, God is saying, look, there's going to be a whole class of people. They're going to slaughter the animals. They're going to offer the sacrifices. They're going to preach the sermons. They're going to be at the door. They're going to take care of the ushering. They're going to take care of the sound system. They're going to visit the widow. They're going to take care of the poor. They're going to do wonderful works. They're going to give all kinds of money to the poor. They're going to do all kinds of wonderful things. They're going to say they're Christians, and they will be, but they will not be allowed to come into my presence. They'll be allowed to only come into the presence of the people who are in the church. That's it. I can't think of anything worse than being a Christian and not being allowed to come into the presence of God. And I have to tell you, I've spent a lot of my life barred from the presence of God, but in full-time ministry. I can't be that kind of pastor anymore. I've stood before congregations of thousands and preached and and received all the accolades at the end of the service, standing at the door and people lining up to talk with me and pat me on the back and say, Pastor, that was an awesome sermon. We're so happy to have you here. And God would not let me into his presence. I can't pastor that way anymore. That's why I left that kind of church. That's why I resigned from that kind of ministry. The money was great. The accolades were wonderful. The works of, of ministry just multiplied in the community. But God wouldn't let me into his house, in his presence. I was barred from the heart of God, and I couldn't stand it. And I finally, one day, broke down, and I said, I've got to know if God is real or not. Because I would pray, and my prayers would not be answered. They bounced off the ceiling like bullets and almost would kill me. I'd lay on my face and I'd weep and I'd say, oh God, I've got to talk with you. And he wasn't there. I wasn't allowed in. The presence of God was gone from my life. But I could still go preach great sermons. And everybody called me pastor. I was even allowed to be on the radio. Even did television. We were a rock and roll go-go church. But God wouldn't let me into his presence. I finally had to lay before him, resign from the ministry, withdrew from all public ministry, 
For seven years, Jan and I lay before the Lord, trying to seek his face and say, how do we find the heart of God? How do we find the heart of God? People saying to us, God's curse is on you because you don't have a church. Look at that little group of people, eight or nine people that gather and pray with you. Nothing's going to happen. That's Come on, get real. One national church leader, he said to me, Ray, forget what you're doing. Let me arrange speaking appointments. You can raise in one year over a million dollars. Then you can build the national prayer chapel. I said, I can't do it. If I do that, we'll build the national prayer chapel, but we won't be allowed into the presence of God. Now, what needs to happen in your life for you to be allowed into the presence of God? I don't want to be a Christian ever again who is barred from the presence of Almighty God. I want access to his heart. I want to minister to God. Verse 15, but the priests who are Levites, descendants of Zadok, who faithfully carried out the duties of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me, are to come near to minister before me. They are to stand before me to offer sacrifices of fat and blood, declares the sovereign Lord. Their ministry is going to look almost like the ministry of those who are not allowed to come into the presence of God. They're going to all preach. They're going to all teach. They're going to all help the poor. They're going to all do the same kinds of things. But one class is going to be blessed by God by being brought into his presence, and they minister to the heart of God. And the other group will be barred from the presence of God. They'll just play church. Verse 16, they alone are to enter my sanctuary. They alone are to come near my table to minister before me and perform my services. And when they enter the gates of the inner court, they are to wear linen clothes. They must not wear any woolen garment while ministering at the gate. In other words, nothing unclean can be in their lives. Nothing unclean. Verse 23, they are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. To show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. In other words, those who are going to minister to the heart of God are going to have to know the difference between the clean and the unclean. They're going to have a a discerning spirit to know what causes the Spirit of God to be grieved and what brings them into the presence of God. They're going to have to know the difference. The one class of Christian is just going to continue living their normal life. They're going to sit in front of the television by the hour. They're going to go to all the entertainment of the world. They're going to love the things of darkness, but they're going to show up and they're going to be wonderful Christian people. 
but they'll be barred from the heart of God. The others are going to know the difference between clean and unclean, common and uncommon. And they are going to begin to say, others may, I cannot. Others may, I cannot. You cannot because you know if you do, you will grieve the Spirit of God and you will be barred from the presence of God. When you have lost the presence of God in your life, there is such an aching loneliness that takes over your whole being. There is another passage of Scripture and another story we must look at because the question that must be asked now is how do I minister to God? How do I minister to God? In Isaiah, the seventh chapter, Ahaz, 20 years old when he becomes king over Judah, he follows the way of darkness. He follows the way of Ephraim and Manassas. And now suddenly comes armies, the army of Aram and the army of Israel coming against Judah to destroy Jerusalem. These are armies with swords and spears. This is bloody hand-to-hand fighting. This is destruction. They come sweeping in, and the scriptures tell us that the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They were terrified. They were facing certain death. And so the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, go out and stand at the end of that aqueduct at the upper pool and say to him in verse 4, be careful, Ahaz, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. In other words, these armies are now coming, and it is absolutely certain death. Jerusalem is going to be taken. They are going to lose their nation. They're going to lose their lives. Everything they have have is going to be stripped from them. I wonder right now, are there some of you in this house today that are facing losing everything? Losing everything. You don't see any way through. You don't see any deliverance. Your heart is trembling with fear and you're saying, how can it happen? It's impossible. I'm facing an utter destruction. Well, then you know how he has felt. And now let me open before you as the Holy Spirit has shown me how you can begin to minister to the heart of God. The Lord says, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. And then he tells what's going to happen to these two kings. This is what the sovereign Lord says in verse 7. It will not take place. The destruction is not going to take place, he says. 
But then look at the last part of verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. How do I minister to the heart of God? First, I know the difference between the holy and the unholy. I hear God say, enough to me. And he says, stop. Don't eat that anymore. Don't drink that anymore. Don't go there anymore. Don't touch that anymore. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, I won't. By faith, I won't do that. And then how do I minister to God? I stand by faith. I minister to God by taking a faith stand against the certain odds that I'm going to be wiped out. I take a faith stand. That's what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. He's saying, look, Ahaz, I want you to turn away from the wickedness of your life, and I want you to ask me for any sign you want to ask me. You want the sun not to set for 24 hours? The sun won't set for 24 hours. You ask for any sign you want to ask for, just stand by faith and don't waver. Take a faith stand. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. He said, I'm not going to enter into this. Then Isaiah said, hear now in verse 13, the house of David it is not is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? There is not anything that will try God's patience faster than unbelief. Spiraling down into despair is unbelief. Spiraling down in the bitterness of heart is unbelief. Spiraling down into disobedience is unbelief. And it makes God angry. And it causes him to say, okay, then you cannot minister to my heart. You can still go to church. You can show up. You can even serve there. You can even preach there but you're not going to minister to my heart. The only ones that will be allowed to minister to the heart of God are the people who will choose to say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, God. I will trust in you. Now, let me show you that in the scripture. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. In other words, Jesus Christ is the sign of the fulfillment of God's promises to your heart. Hallelujah! 
It's the ultimate sign. It's the greatest sign God could think of. <laughs> if you will believe the sign and stand by faith, watch what God will do. But Ahaz would not stand by faith. I want to show you what Ahaz did in 2 Kings, the 16th chapter. You find these kings of Amram and Ephraim have come up against Ahaz. And in verse 7, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. In other words, the Lord God of heaven has said to him, look, will you be my servant? Will you stand by faith? I'll give you any sign you need so that you know that you can trust me. And the ultimate sign that he finally gave, because Ahaz would not ask for a sign, was that God himself is going to come and live among men. That's an impossible sign. And that's what God did. But Ahaz says, I'm not going to trust in God. There has to be a way I can make certain this can happen. I'll trust myself to the king of Assyria. And so he strips all the gold out of the temple. He strips his treasury of all the gold. And he sends the money off because he doesn't believe that God can deliver him. He believes it's a money deal. I want to tell you today, your deliverance is not a money deal. The National Prayer Chapel going on national radio is not a money deal. It's a faith deal. It's taking a faith stand on the word of God and trusting that what he says is true. The king of Assyria complied. He attacked Damascus, captured it. He put the king of Ephraim to death. Then we find in verse 10, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet with Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. How I wish it had said, King Ahaz went to God to meet with the Lord of the universe. He got his deliverance from a wicked king of Assyria, not from the Lord God of heaven. Now, is he the servant of the almighty God of heaven? No. He's the servant of the king of Assyria. And while he's at Damascus, visiting the king of Assyria, he sees this wonderful modern altar. And he immediately gets the measurements on that altar. And he sends the instruction back to the high priest in Jerusalem. And he says, let's go modern. We need something that looks like that. This is a day for the new. People will get excited if they have something new. Let's pick up the worship service with something new. 
So they brought the new altar and they built this new altar and they took the old bronze altar and they moved it over to the north. And they said, when you're offering all the sacrifices for the people, you go to the new altar. When I want to get direction from God, I'll go to the old bronze altar. Oh, how I hear that today in the body of Christ. You can't really trust God. You've got to help yourself. You can't really trust God to sanctify you wholly. You have to fight with your sin. The command of God is very clear. It is that we be sanctified wholly unto the Lord. How do we become sanctified wholly unto the Lord? By faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. We press into Jesus and say, oh God, sanctify me. Make me holy before you. And we stand by faith that it's a finished work and that he'll do what he's promised in our hearts. And if we turn to despair and say, well, you know, God is not showing up. I think I, I better go over and, and plug into this self-help group. You know, I need to go to this self-help group so I can be with other people who understand the problem. God doesn't understand my problem. Well, then who gets the glory when you gain a partial victory? The self-help group does. God doesn't. You have no testimony because you're just coping. And so I hear alcoholics who say, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I don't believe that. I don't believe once a sinner, always a sinner. I believe once a sinner and then redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and set free from every bondage. The question is, will we stand by faith for that deliverance? Or will we head back into enemy territory and sell our souls? If you want to minister to the heart of God, you're going to have to minister to the heart of God by taking a faith stand that he will do in your life what he promised he would do. He promised he would break the power of sin in your life. Now, do you believe God will break the power of sin in your life? Do you believe he will deliver you wholly and completely? Do you believe that he has the power to do that work? Do you believe he can deliver you financially? Do you believe he can deliver you emotionally? You have to take a stand and say, I believe your promise, O Lord. The New Testament passage of Scripture in the book of Peter. I want to read it for you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin. Jesus didn't provide the death of sin in my life. Then all of church is just a big self-help group. 
And I've often said, the church really is a hospital for sinners. It is not a nursing home. Not a nursing home. The church is not a nursing home. I took my mother to a nursing home so they could take care of her until she died. The church is not a nursing home where we come to be taken care of until we die in our sins. It's a hospital. It's where we go to get the antibiotics. It's where we go to get treatment. It's where we go to get charged with the blood of Jesus Christ to transform our lives. Jesus has to jump into our lives. And he does that as we take a faith stand and we face the devil head on and say, you no longer have authority over my life because I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ and I am being healed. I'm being set free. Watch, I'll finish this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Past tense, not future tense. So how do I begin to minister to the heart of God? By taking a faith stand on the blood of Jesus Christ. Knowing that my deliverance is coming. Some of you don't like the job you're in because it takes all of your energy and all of your time. And you need time to read the scriptures and you need time to pray. You need time to search after Jesus. And you're caught because you're saying, how can I meet the responsibilities of my family and still have the time to meet with Jesus? Well, go ask Jesus. Ask Jesus and take a faith stand that he will establish your finances so that you can have all that he wants you to have. And you can meet with Jesus. Some of you are facing right now the struggle. How do I meet my family's responsibilities? You don't. Jesus does. You take a stand on the word of God that he will do it. He is our provider. He is the Jehovah Jireh. No one has ever said, Ray, you've got a nickname, Jehovah Jireh. I'm not the provider. Jesus is the provider. And God functions organically. I'm going to talk about that a minute. We live in a very mechanical age. We listen to the machine as it runs, and we say, oh, it needs a little oil. Let's put a little oil on it. We put the oil on it, and it just smooths right out, and we say, thank you. Or somebody comes and listens, and he says, oh, it's your water pump. Let's jerk that water pump out and replace it. Right, bring it into the shop, jerk that water pump out, it's replaced. Replace the timing belt. I mean, that's mechanical. You, you replace this, you do that, everything is covered, and it's all right. But I tell you what, that's not how that's not how Jan's flowers grow. Jan's flowers grow as they have a little fertilizer put on them. Right now we have this this one bush that has these wonderful pink flowers that grow on it, and the vines just grow up, and we have it right down in the patio so that it can 
lean against a baker's rack. And I had to go in and untangle all the vines. They were wound around each other. And, and I put them around different parts of that baker's rack. I went out there this morning and I looked at it. Those little vines were going exactly where I trained them to go. And soon, that whole baker's rack is going to be covered with the most brilliant pink flowers. That's organic. So usually in God's economy, he doesn't just jerk something out and plug something in. He usually doesn't operate that way. In my life, in the scripture, it's a gentle turning. It's a gentle touching. It's a gentle watering. It's a gentle fertilizing. The faith stand that we take gives God the opportunity to come in and gently begin to do these things in our hearts and in our lives to turn us toward heaven. Sometimes it's pruning. Sometimes it's fertilizing. Sometimes it's watering. It's organic. Christianity is organic. My wife has this pot of pansies. It's about this big around. And the pansies had grown up so tall that they were beginning to drop over. I said to her, Jan, you either have to do something with that thing of pansies or I'm just going to cut them off. She said, don't you dare just cut them off. I said, Jan, they're dropping over. So she went out and got her scissors and began to snip those pansies very carefully. After she was done, I said, sweetie, you just gave them a haircut like I was going to give them. <laughs> the Lord looks at your life and he says, I need to give a haircut to this one. And you may say, oh, no, Lord. Look at all this wonderful growth. The Lord says, no, I, I think I just need to come in and carefully cut away all this foliage. Now, if you came to our house right now and looked at those pansies, they look pretty sick. They look like they've been destroyed, if you want to know the truth. But you know what they're going to look like in about three weeks? Those happy little faces are going to be popping up all over in those pansies. This is why we walk by faith. If it were mechanical, God would just sweep in. He'd say, okay, jerk that, that water pump out, shove a new one in, get on the road, you're good to go. God doesn't do that. He deals with us organically. He knows what our hearts desire. He knows what our needs are. He hasn't cut any of us off. There may be some today who are not allowed right now to come into the presence of God because you won't hear him say enough. You refuse to be cut back. You're off going to the head of 
Assyria and saying, okay, I'll pay money and I'll pull it off my own way. God, if you're not going to do it my way, I'll find somebody who will help me. And then you're barred from the presence of God. You can't minister to his heart. But if you come back in in repentance and heartfelt sorrow and you say, Lord, bring me into your heart. Show me the difference between the common and the uncommon. Show me the difference between the holy and the unholy. And I'll take a faith stand that you're going to do this work in my heart. Then suddenly with one sweep of his hand, God will begin organically to bring changes into your life. And you'll hear, go do this. Go do that. Don't do this. God's talking. You know it's God. And then you have to choose. Are you going to rebel? Are you going to obey? If you're like me, you'll rebel quite a few times. And finally, the rebellion becomes so painful. And your relationship becomes so fractured that you recognize God has closed you out of his throne room. And you can't stand the loneliness. And you say, I've got to get back to God. I've got to be allowed into his throne room. And your prayers then begin to be answered again. And you begin to be brought into the presence of God. And he hears your cry. God is not about trying to destroy us. He's about redeeming us. He loves us. He cherishes us. He died for us. He's not going to cast us away from him. Today, will you take that faith stand in whatever situation you're in? That God will bring you into his heart where you can minister to him. Where you can touch his heart and he can touch your heart. Where you spend that time in the prayer closet. You spend that time reading the scriptures. You turn aside from darkness. And you say, Jesus, have your way in my heart. Have your way, Jesus. Instruct me in the path I should go and I will follow you. Now, if you're in a severe crisis today, who knows about that? If your children are in a severe crisis today, who knows about that? What I'm wanting you to hear today is that everything in the Christian life happens based on covenant. Based on faith. Nothing happens in the spiritual realm without faith. Everything happens based on your being willing to take a faith stand with the Lord God of heaven and put your trust in him. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, you're going to take that faith stand. Almighty God. You showed us a sign beyond all signs 
You showed us that we can trust you. Oh, mighty God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that by his stripes we are healed. Thank you that he has caused sin to be put to death in our hearts. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
So